0: Good morning, church. It's good to be gathered with you virtually this morning, since we can't be together, and to know that surely our God is with us. If you are a youth, you're invited to pull up your sermon bingo card at this time, and if you're not a youth, but you feel like that maybe might help you keep tracking along and paying attention with us in this live stream, please feel free to create a card for yourself as well. Our scripture readings this morning The first reading is in Isaiah 58, which we've been journeying through in the season of Lent, reading verses 9 through 12. The prophet says, Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, Here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness. And your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restore of streets with dwellings. And our second reading comes from the book of Proverbs, chapter 3, reading verses 27 through 35. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to act. Do not say to your neighbor, come back tomorrow and I'll give it to you when you already have it with you. Do not plot harm against your neighbor who lives trustfully near you. Do not accuse anyone for no reason when they have done you no harm. Do not envy the violent, or choose any of their ways. For the Lord detests the perverse, but takes the upright into his confidence. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the home of the righteous. He mocks proud mockers, but shows favor to the humble and oppressed. The wise inherit honor, but fools get only shame. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God this is the fifth sunday in the christian season of lent the season of journeying with jesus toward the cross and while in past years some of us have felt the challenge of this season more acutely than others this year we found ourselves all in a fairly similar story our journey is now one of communal trouble We find ourselves very much in the shoes of those those disciples who first followed Jesus to his cross. Like them, we too now flee from crafts. Like them, we endure storms. And even like them, we cry out to Jesus in the midst of the storm, saying, Lord, don't you care that we are perishing? These first disciples very much give us the words to voice our own experience in these days. Questions like, where is God in a global pandemic? How can God be good with all this trouble and trial? We hear these kinds of questions in the words of the people in Isaiah 58. Why have we fasted and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves but you did not notice? Again, we hear that same question in the words of the disciples. Lord, don't you care that we're perishing? If you heard that story of Jesus calming the storm before, you'll know that Jesus did care for his disciples and friends. And if you're familiar with the story of God's people, you'll know that God noticed the fast of his people was still concerned for their full flourishing. But you'll also know that it was in the fright of the storm that Jesus encouraged his disciples towards faith. It was at the very heart of their frustration with God that God challenged his children Israel toward a faith with legs works of justice and mercy and not only religious ritual so as we entered the season of lent together five weeks ago feels like a lifetime we entered it with that same belief at the center that our lord cares for us and invites us to follow closely to him even on his journey to the cross and promising that as we do we will learn what it is to be his disciples that we will become more like Jesus, and our lives will better reveal his kingdom. That even in trouble and trial and pain, even in all these things, our God meets us and transforms us so that we can go and meet others in their hardships as well. And so this remains our belief, even in these days. So far we have thought about how our God calls us to give up quarreling and fighting how God calls us to give up the chains of injustice and selfish ambition, how each of these things prevents us from being able to participate in the good and full life that God has offered to us. This week, we'll hear again those words from Isaiah 58, and we'll see how it urges us to do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk. God calls us to give up blaming others to give up blaming others for our own misfortunes, and to give up blaming others for their misfortunes as well. God calls us to stop gossiping about the sins of our neighbors. It seems that God is not only concerned with the things that we're doing with our hands, God is also very much concerned about the kinds of things we say as well. And so it's important for us to know that the pointing finger and the malicious talk, accusations and gossip, these are two of the most frequently addressed sins in all of the scriptures. These sins are important enough that they make the Ten Commandments. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. These are all, there are all sorts of reasons why these things might be things God is concerned about. First, we know that Jesus says he is the truth. And so we know there is no deceit in God's way, that even the small lies of convenience, the slight shift of blame that we do to make ourselves feel more comfortable, these things don't align with who our God is. So too, with gossip, the problem arises that we place ourselves in the seat of judgment. We assume God's responsibilities as our own as we share the sin of our neighbor with others. And as the Apostle Paul says in Romans, who is it who condemns? It is only Christ. It's not me or you. It's not your parents or your partner. Only Christ may condemn, and He died for us and rose for us. Nevertheless, it seems as though in Isaiah 58, all those great reasons why these sins are problems in our world, these things aren't actually the core of God's distress about the accusations and gossip. The text says this the text says if you do away with the yoke of oppression with the pointing finger and malicious talk and you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed god is making it clear god is connecting accusations and gossip with the ways that we spend our lives god is saying that the problem with these things is that we're spending ourselves on ourselves We're expending energy trying to bolster our position by jeopardizing the position of our neighbor. This is not the way of our God. But all too often, it is, all too easily, our way. We see the pointing finger in the news all the time. Just in the last week, global leaders have chosen to call this novel coronavirus the Chinese virus. And we've seen other world governments issuing propaganda that perhaps this virus originated from an American military lab. This is the pointing finger, idle hands with nothing better to do but to accuse one another in a desperate attempt to shift blame, to shift the focus, to come out just a little bit more on top. When a pandemic is raging, how can who comes out on top of a public relations spin be of any serious concern yet we know somehow it is and we know that this is not only true for nations and for leaders it's also true for us blaming gossip these things have been our tools at times as well positioning us in a slightly more favorable light at the expense of our neighbors We have expended ourselves in the pursuit of good optics and saving face. And we have neglected the hungry and the oppressed. Worse, at times, by our words, we have even added to their number. But we live in a world that's happy to condemn. There's this thing called call-out culture that's become increasingly the norm. And it's especially the norm on social media. This is the practice of publicly shaming individuals or groups in an effort to hold them accountable for things that might have caused harm or offended. It's an effort to call attention to the wrongdoing of others. And while we tell ourselves that we're doing this only with public figures or large organizations that ought to know better, and that that makes it all right, the reality is that these practices shape people's overall social engagements. It's not only public figures and big corporations. It's also that friend from high school on our Facebook feed. It's also the random stranger in Idaho whose tweet went viral because of trolls. These kinds of social interactions all have consequences. There's research that shows that teens who experience call out culture firsthand are less likely to engage in social media in the future. They withdraw from a primary means of connecting with their friends. We can imagine why this is we can all imagine if we were publicly shamed at school or at work that we would be more reticent to speak up in those places in the future perhaps we can recall the pain and the embarrassment that we felt in similar situations the isolation that seemed like it could be our only solace if we're shamed publicly we want to retreat from public view through the pointing finger and malicious talk we have made new those old ways of oppressing, marginalizing, and silencing. Even in our efforts to give more people voice on social media or in our efforts to defend a neglected group, we end up embarrassing and humiliating somebody for what may have only been a misunderstood comment or a thoughtless statement. And this is precisely the problem with blaming and gossip. Even if the blame is owed, Even if the gossip is true, even if we're right about all the things that we're saying, there's still the question of can we know that person's heart? Can we know their intention? Can we know that though their sin was public, that they have not repented of it in private to God? Can we be sure that the words that we share about others remain true? And what motivation do we have for sharing the sin of our neighbors with others? Why should we not bring it to their attention in private first? Surely the purpose of this is only to build ourselves up. St. John of the Ladder, a 7th century Christian monk from Syria, he wrote of the root cause of this problem. As he says, hasty and severe judges of the sins of their neighbor fall into this predicament because they have not yet attained to a thorough and constant remembrance and concern for their own sins. For if anyone could see his own vices accurately without the veil of self-love, he would be worrying about nothing else in his life, considering that he would not have enough time for mourning for himself, even though he were to live hundred years. Let me repeat that for you again. If anyone could see his own vices accurately without the veil of self-love, he would worry about nothing else in this life. If we have time and if we have energy enough to blame someone else, to share the sins of our neighbor, it must be because we do not yet have a full appreciation for our own sin that we continue to live our lives and see ourselves distorted by pride and by our selfishness and by our narcissism, that we cannot see what others might see quite plainly in us, what we can certainly trust that our God does see in us, that we've withheld good from those to whom it was due, that we have plotted harm against our neighbor, that we have accused others for no reason, If we can participate in blaming and gossip, it's because we're still far too worried about where we are in the social pecking order, and we're not nearly worried enough for the well-being of the hungry and the oppressed. Truly, we have become mockers of others, proud of ourselves looking down on those around us, and God mocks proud mockers. God mocks proud mockers. The book of Proverbs doesn't pull very many punches. God mocks mockers. Or as Jesus tells us, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Or as might be more familiar to us, don't dish what you can't take. The measure you use will be measured to you. God will mock mockers. The sins that we judge most harshly, we too will find ourselves being judged most harshly for. And blind to our own faults, we'll likely be surprised by some of the logs that are removed from our eyes when we were busy sharing widely and freely about the speck of dust in our neighbors. If we've spent a lot of time playing the blame game or gossiping, If we know those habits in our hearts that try to ensure that we're positioned above our neighbor. This idea that God mocks those who mock others. That God will judge us with the same measure we have used. This idea, it might frighten us. And if these patterns are the only ones we've ever adhered to, we might not know where to start in forming a new way. So St. Isaac of Nineveh, another 7th century Christian, offers us this advice. He says, if you cannot be merciful, at least speak as though you are a sinner. If you are not victorious, do not exalt yourself over the vanquished. If you cannot close the mouth of a man who disparages his companion, at least refrain from joining him in this. Mercy toward the oppressed, that can be difficult for us to develop on its own, especially if judgment has been our way. But if instead we focus on first cultivating humility, remembering our great debts, then mercy will be our harvest. God mocks proud mockers. That's true. But the verse goes on, it says, But God also shows favor to the humble and the oppressed. The fact that when God's people were crying out to help, for help from God, And the answer they received was God drawing their attention to the needs of those around them for the help that they could offer to them. This reality should assure us of the answers to those questions that we might hold in our hearts in this season. Lord, don't you care that we're perishing? And why have we fasted and you have not noticed? God has noticed God does care about what's going on in the world, and he has called and equipped you to join him in responding. If only we would give up the very things that must die in us for new life to spring up. If only we would give up the pointing finger and malicious talk. And if we would spend ourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed. Then our light would rise in the darkness And our night would become like the noonday. Then the Lord would be our guide. And it's not as if the Lord hasn't been guiding us. Rather, it's that we have not listened. But if we choose to give up these things and take up these new practices, if we stop spending ourselves for our own benefit, and we spend ourselves on new pursuits to the benefit of those to whom God shows favor, then we will find that we are in fact the very hands and feet of Christ then we will find that we are indeed the repairers of broken walls, the restorers of streets with dwellings. Friends, in this and every season, I am convinced that we are going to find exactly what we're looking for. If we're looking for people to blame, people to blame for yet unknown economic crises, people to blame for the weight of public health measures, people to blame for the tensions in our own families, if we're looking for people to blame, we're going to find them. If we're looking for faults in our neighbors, we're going to see them in abundance. If we're looking for ways that we can raise ourselves up, we will pursue them. However, as Stinky and Saki shared with us earlier, if instead we look, even in seasons of darkness, for those things which we can celebrate and rejoice and be grateful for, we will find an abundance of goodness. If we look for virtues which we can emulate, even in the people that we find most difficult to like, we will find those virtues as well. If we seek out ways to spend ourselves on behalf of the oppressed, even when we're each relegated to our own homes, even this we will find. Church, may justice and mercy together be the things which we seek giving up all malicious talk, may we spend ourselves anew in behalf of the hungry and satisfying in fresh ways the needs of the oppressed. May we do all this for the sake of God's kingdom, which is in our very midst. Amen. I'm going to invite you to a time of quiet reflection in your homes. Kristen's going to play some music, and these are the questions I'd like you to consider, maybe something you could journal about later in the day. Where is the pointing finger and malicious talk still too present in your life? And what is the first step toward giving up those things that you need to take in order to spend yourself on behalf of the oppressed? I'll leave you with those questions, church. Thanks for joining us today.